Well, good morning. Um, welcome again to Mercy House. My name's Robert. I'm lead pastor here. We've been going through the Gospel of John several weeks. Uh, we have made it to chapter 10, and go ahead and open up to chapter 10 in your Bibles there. You've got Bibles there under the, t- under the chairs and maybe one on your phone. Who knows? Maybe you brought one with you. Uh, but it's going to be helpful to you if you read along with me in John chapter 10. I've been saying this multiple times throughout this series that uh, on a very basic level, John's doing two things. He's revealing Jesus and he's calling people to believe in Jesus. He's doing that over and over and over and over and over again. And this book in particular, I think, is, is a, it's a great book for, for getting kind of this inside view of the person of Jesus. I mean, this is where I met Jesus. That's what, I met him in the pages of the Gospel of John. And reading it and studying it and discussing it in a, in a Bible study group and really for the first time seeing uh, the person of Jesus. And it really it called me to belief, true belief, trusting in him and following him uh, with all my life. And that's, and that's happening in this church. It's happening week in and week out as folks are hearing about Christ and seeing Christ in the Gospel of John. So just know that. Know that that's, that's what the author's doing. He's, he's revealing Jesus, uh, and he's calling the reader to uh, believe. <laughs> look at my glasses. I look down, and I can say, wow, why can't I see my notes? <clears throat> because I don't have my glasses on. Um, when we get to chapter 10, he continues with that theme of revealing and calling to believe. But I think he also is beginning to, to unveil to us what it's going to be like once we've believed. What will the nature of, of this interaction that you're going to have between yourself and, and Jesus? And that's really going to ramp up when we get to uh, John 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. Throughout the Holy Week, we'll be looking at that in our evening services. And he's basically saying, this is what it's going to be like once he leaves in bodily form and the Holy Spirit comes, and the nature of that relationship. And so I think John 10 is is the beginning of that conversation, helping us to understand what is it going to be like if we do believe? What will the relationship be like? Um, It's sort of like uh, premarital counseling, okay? So I do a lot of premarital counseling. I've done a lot of weddings, over 120 weddings over the course of my life as a pastor, and so that has meant a lot of premarital counseling. And so you're sitting across the table with this starry-eyed couple, and you're trying to prepare them for marriage. And it's hard to talk about it because they haven't been there yet. They don't, really, they don't know what it's going to be like. I know what it's like, but they don't know what it's like. And so trying to prepare them. And so Jesus is a little bit like this in, in, in John where he's trying to help his disciples get ready for what it's going to be like when this thing really gets off the ground and the Holy Spirit comes and He leaves in bodily form. And so I think John chapter 10, these first few verses really help us, at least give us an image of what that relationship is going to be like. And it, I think it builds a good foundation for some of the, 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 the chapters that are going to happen after this. And so the image that He gives us in this passage is the image of a shepherd. And so the short answer to what's the, that relationship going to be like, it's going to be like a, sh- a shepherd with his sheep. And this is the image that he, that he gives. And so what we'll, we'll unpack as we go through this is some more about the identity of Jesus. Right? That's always going to be in the mix. 
He's going to be revealing the identity of Jesus. He's going to be revealing the, the actions and authority that, that Jesus has. That's good. They're going to see that some more. They're going to unpack that more. That's, that we've been seeing that every week, his identity and his actions and the authority that he has to take those actions. Uh, and then you're going to see the response that's, that's called forth from us in light of who Jesus is and his authority and the actions that he's taken. So that's where we're going. That's what we're going to hear it. So if you're, if you're taking notes, that's the th- three little uh, places where you can kind of hang your, hang your notes there. Who Jesus is, his actions, authority, and how do we respond. So I want to read again these first few verses in John 10, uh, where Jesus says in verse 1, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber.'" But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So there's some elements of the illustration here. So we've got uh, a sheepfold. We've got uh, the individual sheep that make up the sheepfold. We've got a gatekeeper of some sort. And then we've got this thief, robber, stranger person, right? This is... This, this is all three names for the same, same person, thief, robber, or stranger. The imagery is probably coming from something that the original hearers experienced many, many, many times. Uh, that would have been shepherds taking care of their individual flocks during the day, and then at night bringing those individual flocks to uh, a designated location where they would safely kind of tuck, tuck away all the different flocks into one kind of communal flock, and one shepherd would draw the the short straw and would have to stay up all night and guard the sheep, and the rest of the shepherds would get a good night's sleep so they could be ready for the next morning. And so that that shepherd, whoever had the night duty, would have to stand at the mouth of wherever it was that they were being cared for, and it was probably some sort of a natural formation, maybe some kind of a rock formation where the sheep could be tucked in there and there was a narrow opening to get to that area. And that shepherd who had the night duty is standing there and staying awake and making sure if a thief shows up or a wolf shows up or whatever, that that, that, that uh, overnight duty person would, would take care of the problem. So that's, that's the situation that he's most likely describing. And so what happens in the morning after... Uh, the overnight has happened is that the shepherds all show up and they've got to collect their individual flocks out of the community flock and get them out of there. And the way that they would do that is that they would call them and the sheep would follow them. And if the, the sheep that were not your sheep heard you or saw you, sheep are pretty skittish, they would flee from you. They would be scared of you. They didn't trust you. But those that knew you, those that you had fed and you'd cared for and you'd got the burrs out of their wool and you'd, you'd made sure that they had clean water and you made sure that you protected them from the wolves, like, like they, they followed you, they, they, they trusted you. 
and they would follow the, that, that shepherd out of the, the, the sheep pen, so to speak. So the overall point of this is that the nature of this interaction that you're going to have with Jesus once you believe in Jesus is relationship. There's going to be relationship. This is not just some far-off God who is aloof and who has sort of given you, here's your list of 100 things that you need to do if you want to please me. This is, this is going to be an actual relationship, right? Jesus is saying, I know the sheep, and the sheep know me. Did you see that? Verse 3, the little phrase there, he calls his own sheep by name. He calls his own sheep by name. It's not a general whistle. It's not a, a general, uh, you know, some sort of a yell, right? That, that's what I would hear my grandfather, who was a cattle rancher. He's always making these, these strange noises, right? He's always clicking or he, he, he'd be like yelling or whistling whenever we were out in the pasture and we were herding cattle. And either he was talking to his dog who was, who was herding the cattle or he was talking to the cattle. And the cattle seemed to know my grandfather and knew what he, what, what he wanted them to do. But it was always just a, sort of a general signal. It was just like a whistle or a yell uh, or some sort of a clicking. I don't know. He had all these, these funny little things that he would do. This, that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that the shepherd is calling individual sheep by name. He's saying, Eva, Kimberly, right? Joe. Right? He's calling out the individual sheep by name. And those sheep are hearing his voice and they're, they're following him. Um, that's the next part of the, of the image, right? That, that not only does, does Jesus know the sheep by name, the, the, the sheep know the shepherd. Verse 4 says they know his voice. They have intimate knowledge of the shepherd. They've spent time with the shepherd. The shepherd has cared for them, has provided for them, has protected them, has led them. And so when the, when the shepherd calls their name, they trust and they know that voice. And because they trust, the next part of the image is, is that Jesus leads the sheep and the sheep follows. So not only does Jesus know the sheep and sheep know Jesus, Jesus leads those sheep that he knows, and those sheep that know Jesus actually follow his call whenever he calls them to follow. Verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Or in verse 4, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. It's very simple, but it's profound what he's saying there. That his relationship with them is an intimate relationship and those sheep trust him when he calls them and they follow him. It's good for the sheep. It's good for the sheep to be in Jesus' sheepfold and to follow Jesus when Jesus calls them. The alternative is to be led by a thief or a robber. That's the alternative. Thieves and robbers are not looking out for the best interests of the sheep. They're looking for a way to exploit the sheep so that the sheep can serve them. When I was in college, I was robbed two different times. 
The first time was in, uh, we were in an apartment, my roommates and I, and we left the front window open. Like the, There was a screen, but the windows were open because it was hot that day. And the person just kind of kicked in the screen, went in the window, took all our CDs. Right? The next time it happened, uh, we were in a house by that point, and the door was open when we got to the house. We had just come back from class. We walk in, and the thief is literally standing in our breakfast room with my golf clubs and trying to head out the back door and just drop the clubs and just ran as fast as they could. And one of my roommates got a club and went after them. Couldn't find them, but but was going after them. Now, neither one of those thieves was looking out for my best interest. They, they weren't coming into my house and thinking, what would be best for those who dwell in this apartment or this house? They were thinking, how can I exploit these idiot college boys that don't lock their doors? Right? And how can I cause that to serve me? That's what they were thinking. And Jesus is, is describing this alternative shepherding that's outside of his shepherding, right? It's a thief. It's a robber. It's someone who's trying to exploit the sheep, not care for the sheep. Now, you may be thinking, I want to get in this sheepfold. <laughs> this sounds pretty good. I'd love to be in this sheepfold where I'm provided for and protected. I'm led. I can trust the leadership of that shepherd. Like, this is what every human, <laughs> this is what we're hungry for. It's what we're desperate for. And we're trying to be our own shepherd, but sheep don't make very good shepherds. We just can't do it. So how do I get into the sheepfold? And I think our inclination is to think the way I get into the sheepfold is I need to be a really good sheep. I need to be a good sheep. I'm going to be on my best sheeply behavior, and I'm going to follow well, and I'm going to do what I'm told, and I'm going to eat the grass that I'm given, and, and, and then maybe I'm like on a six-month probationary period, and then, and then Jesus, the shepherd, will look at me and say, you're, you're a good sheep. Like, I, I, you, you would do well in my flock. I'd like to invite you in the apartment, but that's not at all how it works. Jesus actually describes how it works in this text. Let's, let's look at it. Verse 7, Jesus again says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus shifts from saying, I'm the, sh- I'm, I'm the shepherd, to I'm the door, which is the same thing. That's why I think what I described as far as the scenario, you've got a shepherd who's been placed on night duty, is standing at the mouth of the sheep pen, and they have become the door, so to speak. And, and so they have to, if a sheep's going to come in there, they've got to go through the door. They've got to go through the shepherd, and Jesus is saying, I'm the, I'm the door. I'm the gate. And the way you get in here is you enter by me. That's how you get in here. Now, what does that mean? I don't think there's any doubt what that means. When we look at this text in the context of the whole gospel of John, what it means is you got to believe. You've got to exercise saving faith in 
Jesus. That's how you enter into the sheepfold over and over and over and over and over. John is calling us to believe in Jesus. I did a little search with the BibleGateway.com yesterday. I was like just looking up the word believe and belief. It's just all over the Gospel of John. Every chapter you see it popping up. This is what he means. You want to enter into the sheepfold. You enter via faith, via belief. You see this in the beginning of the book, right? He says this, John 1.12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Towards the end of the book, sort of John's thesis statement, verse 31 of chapter 20, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. So believing in what? Believing what? I think Jesus answers that right here, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what you're believing. He goes on to explain that more. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He's explaining what it means for him to be the good shepherd. Now, this idea of being a shepherd, of God being a shepherd, uh, this is planted firmly in the religious consciousness of Old Testament Israel. It's all over. In fact, if you know any of the Bible, especially if you know any Old Testament, you probably have heard Psalm 23. This is what it's always read in funerals. I mean, this is, this is a go-to for even people that really don't know that much about the Bible. They know about Psalm 23, and it's, it, it goes like this. Psalm 23 once says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are powerful promises of God's care for His people. Who knew that He would lay His life down in order to be a shepherd who cares for His sheep? And this is what Jesus is revealing, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He contrasts himself with a hired hand. The idea is that the shepherd actually owns the sheep, is caring for the sheep, but has some employees. And those employees are, are given money to help out with the shepherding. The employee looks at the sheep as a paycheck. They're, they're thinking about uh, the opportunity that the sheep give them to bring about Income, that's not all bad, right? They're doing a, 
a cost-benefit analysis. They're, they're thinking about the difficulty of the job and the riskiness of the job, and, and they're comparing that to the amount of money that they're getting for the job, and, and they've decided, they think that the money that they're being given is worth the risk and the difficulty level and the opportunities that they might have. But the minute they believe that the risk and the difficulty level is way more than the benefit that they're receiving, they're done. They quit. And I'm not being too hard on them. <laughs> I don't blame them, right? They're like, this, this is not worth it. It's not worth it to be a shepherd. Now, I was looking up the riskiest jobs in the U.S., and what came up was a, a construction worker. The riskiest job in the U.S. right now. The median income is just a little bit over $30,000. Now, these guys may be making more than $30,000. I don't know. But they've decided that the risk of being several stories up is worth whatever money they're able to get out of that. They've done the cost-benefit analysis, and they believe that it's worth the difficulty level and the risk. But as soon as it doesn't seem like it's worth it, there's no way. There's no way they're going up there every day just for funsies and risking their life. So as a shepherd in the ancient world, it's one of the lowest, maybe the lowest job on the scale. They, they, they're treated with disdain. I, I was reading some, some in the Old Testament this week, and uh, the, the, Abraham, or the, the people of God have, have come into Egypt, and they're going to live in Egypt, and they've been given this little parcel of land, and Joseph has this little pep talk with them when they're going to talk to Pharaoh. And he says, okay, tell them you're shepherds. And they all leave you alone completely. <laughs> I mean, even then, it was just disdain for, for those that cared for sheep. So we're talking lowest, lowest on the scale of, of, of opportunities for, for working. And so here you are, your night duty. You're in this low-end job. And you hear the snarl of one of these. And you're thinking, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to go up against one of these or a pack of these in order to save these stupid sheep? And most likely you say, no, it's not. I'm, I'm running. <laughs> I'm not going to fight these wolves. I'm running. And this is what Jesus describes. And Jesus says that he doesn't run. He doesn't run away from the wolves. In fact, he'll even go to the degree of laying down his own life to protect the sheep from the wolves. Now think about the cost-benefit analysis here. We got the divine Son of God, the creator of the universe, created a universe where human beings were thriving and they were bringing glory to God and there was great blessing for them and they choose to rebel against God. They begin to absorb glory instead of reflect the glory of God. They continue in that even after God sends prophet after prophet after prophet and telling them the truth and offering grace and offering an opportunity to come back in relationship with Him. God himself in the flesh, Jesus, shows up. He gets a welcoming committee of a bunch of religious leaders who've hijacked the very religion that God has given his people and are exploiting it and using it for their own gain. 
Not only that, Jesus then teaches them graciously. He, he does miracles. He, he reaches out to them. And what do they want to do? They want to kill him. That's what they want to do. And so you think about that cost-benefit analysis. You're like, divine son of God, sheep that are rebellious, glory-absorbing, lip-service-giving, law-breaking rebels. And he chooses to lay down his life. That's what he's saying. He chooses to lay down his life. And he's having to go up against something a whole lot scarier than wolves. He's going up against the darkness of sin and its effects. Sin and death and hell itself. That's what he's up against. That's what these vulnerable sheep, you and me, that's, that's our enemies. And, and Jesus says, I will lay down my life. Right? He, he knows those enemies are lurking. He, back in John 8, 24 from last week, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. He understands that one of the effects of sin is, is death. And not just physical death, eternal death. He, he speaks later in John 8, verse 44. He says, you're of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He knows that, that, not, that, that the shepherd that they're following, that, that, that he's a liar, that he's there to steal and kill and destroy. And he's willing to go up against that enemy and give his own life. And, and again, not just his physical life. To take on the infinite, eternal punishment that's deserved by human beings. Apostles' Creed says he's descended into hell. That's what that's talking about. That the punishment that Jesus takes on himself as he lays down his life is, is, is yes, physical, but it's spiritual. And he takes that on for his sheep. He chooses to take the job. And the reason he does it, well, look at the reason he does it. And he, the way he communicates this is contrasting himself with the hired hand. Go back to 13, John 10, verse 13. He flees, he's talking about the hired hand, because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. He's saying, the reason I'm doing this for my sheep is because I care for them. I know them. I love them. This is why he's doing it. And sometimes we, we think, yeah, I mean, God cares for me, but he's just sort of putting up with me. Right? He's, he's sort of a frustrated parent who's just willing to sort of put up with you. You're my kid, so I'll just continue to put a roof over your head and food on the table. But you're irritating me. Right? That's not at all what it's like. Look, look at the, the verse 14 there. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
He's comparing his knowing and his, his care for the sheep to his knowing and care for God the Father. That doesn't sound like sort of a begrudging, I'll, I'll let you stay around since you're my kid kind of an attitude. He cares for you. He calls you by name. Sometimes we think about this salvation sort of like this big reservoir of salvation and anybody want some, you come get it and just put your faith in there. No, he's calling you personally. He's laying his life down for you. Feel, feel the care of that, the love of that, the joy of that. This Christianity thing, it's not just some general religion that you've adopted and that's your thing and, you know, you've... Ch- no, no, no. This is God Himself calling you out, calling you to salvation, calling you into His sheepfold, and He's doing it out of His care for you. It's a powerful, powerful image. And obviously, He's doing that by grace. He's not doing that because he's like, well, well, you in particular, like you, you really show a lot of promise as a sheep, so yes, I'm, I love you and I care for you. No. No, he's, he's, it's grace. It's unmerited favor. It, it's, it's unearned. He's, he's choosing. He's saying, I want you. I love you. And, and, and it, again, it's not this begrudging kind of, I'll let you hang around because you're my kid. It's, it's care. It's love for you. Now, in verses 16 through 18, he makes a couple of clarifications that I think are helpful, really helpful. Uh, otherwise, I'd stop the sermon right there, but I think, these, I think you need to hear these. So, verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Right? So, it's a clarification to his original hearers who are Jewish. And he's saying to them that he's, he's, he wants to be their good shepherd. He's calling them to become part of his sheepfold. But he's saying this thing is going to go global. Every nation, every people group. He's going to call people out of those nations and those people groups. And those are going to all become part of a flock. And that flock is not tied to a particular culture. That he, the good shepherd, is going to be shepherd over a flock that's made up of many, many different cultures and people groups. And so it's a clarification. I think it's extremely helpful for his original hearers, but it's good for us to hear that too. That this, uh, this Christianity that we speak of, it's not tied to a particular culture. Most religions in the world, they're, they're tied to some kind of culture. They smuggle in a culture as part of what it means to practice that religion, that is not Christianity. Christianity is a call to all cultures to come to faith in Christ and to begin to express that true faith, true doctrine, absolutely, there's absolutes there, but to do it in a way that is a a mixing of the different cultures of the world that become this testimony, this witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He then, in verse 17, 18, makes another clarification that's helpful. It says, For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. So up to this point, he's been saying that I am the one that my Father has sent. So the sense that, that Jesus is on a mission, that mission was given to him by his Father, it's absolutely true. It's actually in this text as well, right? That last little phrase, this charge I have received from my Father. But he's also saying that his will and the Father's will are one. That he's completely on board with this mission. And that he, with authority, you talk about authority. This is some amazing authority. He's like, I have the authority to lay my life down and to pick my life up again. Think of it as uh, a father giving away a bride at a wedding. Right? The father is, is wanting the bride to get married, but the bride wants to get married too. In all those weddings that I've done, I, I, I've never had a father t- dragging a bride down the aisle, you are going to get married. Right? No, the bride's excited about getting down to, to, to the end of the aisle so that she can marry this old guy that's standing down there. Right? This, this, is, this, is, this is both their desire. This is both their, their wills. And Jesus is saying, yes, the Father sent me. Yes, the Father wants this mission to happen, that I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep, but so do I. Our will is one. We're reminded of Jesus laying down his life every time we come to this table. We're reminded on this night where he institutes this supper. Usually when I'm doing the words of institution, I start with on the night on which Jesus was, what? Betrayed. It's a dark night. It's a dark night. This would be a good night to run. The next day, he is going to feel the weight of sin and death and hell itself crash down on him and crush him. This would be the moment to pack his stuff up and head out. That's not what he does. He sits there in that room with his disciples. He takes bread. He breaks it. He gives it to them. He says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he takes the cup, and after he's blessed it, he gives them the cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. He's talking about that enemy. (laughs) That those vulnerable sheep had no way to go up against. And he's saying, I'm going to go up against it tomorrow. He's saying, as often as you drink this, I want you to remember that this has been done for you. This blood has been poured out for you. Instead of running, he's leaning in. Don't you think it's interesting? He's talking in the, in the present tense. He says, this is my body. This is, this is my blood. It hasn't even happened yet. The cross hasn't happened. But as far as he's concerned, it's going to happen. He's going to face down those enemies of sin and death and hell. And he's going to do it on behalf of his sheep, you and me. He's going to lay down his life for the sheep. This is what you believe. 
You want to know, what, what is it that I believe? What do I believe about Jesus? This is what you believe about Jesus. That Jesus, the divine Son of God, laid down His life and has defeated the enemies of sin and death and hell. And by receiving that by faith, you are saved. That's what Christians are talking about when they say, you need to get saved. That's what they're talking about. Saved from those enemies that you have no other way of defeating except by the grace that comes from the gospel. So this is what you're believing. And if, if, if you've yet to cross over that line where you've, you've trusted in Christ this morning, I want to encourage you to do so right now. To receive the gift of forgiveness that Christ has given you. He's calling you right now. He's calling you by name. This, this isn't just, when, when we get to this part of the sermon, this is not just sort of a general call, and I'm just kind of throwing it out there. I mean, it feels like that, but the Holy Spirit is delivering it to individuals. And I've heard this story many, many times, and people will say, I felt like you were talking right at me. I'm like, well, I was, sort of, but God's Holy Spirit was talking right to you and was calling you. To, to, to put your faith in the one who's laid down his life. So if you're hearing that call, respond in faith this morning. Surrender to Christ in faith. Now others, you, you've professed to be a Christian. There's, there's some folks here that you've, maybe you've grown up in the church and you, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe this stuff, I've kind of checked the box, but you don't follow Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, but in this parable, that category does not exist. Jesus doesn't say, and then there's some who are strays, and they just kind of do whatever they want, but they're part of the flock, and I know that, but, but they, they haven't chosen to be the, a flock. That doesn't exist. That category does not exist. And so if, if you find yourself professing faith, but not really interested in following, I would say you need to put faith in the real Jesus. Perhaps you've put faith in some sort of a Christian religion that talks about Jesus and it looks a little bit like Christian, but, but it's not the true faith in the true good shepherd. Notice what I'm not saying is, now try harder to follow Jesus and then you'll be a Christian. No, I'm saying if, if you have no interest in following him, if you've not been following him, then you probably don't know the shepherd. Because if you do, you're going to be hearing his voice. You're going to be hearing his voice through the word of God. That's how he speaks to us. And you're going to be responding in faith to what Christ is saying to you as your good shepherd. Never going to be perfect, okay? I'm not saying if your life's not perfect, you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. We're always a work in progress. We're always... Seeing things we hadn't seen before, we're confessing, we're repenting, we're growing. Right? That, that's, that's that ongoing relationship with our shepherd. And others, you're, you're following Jesus. You're hearing his voice. You're, you're following that call. And you need to be reminded this morning that he is a good shepherd. You may be having a hard time believing that this week. Maybe because of the circumstances of your life, you're thinking, I just, I can't believe you're a good shepherd. Why would my life look like this if you were a good shepherd? 
I don't know how many people I, I've prayed over who have poured out their hearts and their pain and their struggle with whatever it is that's going through their lives, with relationships or an addiction or a loss of, of, of someone, and I've prayed over them, and I don't know, it's almost like every time I pray in a situation like this, I pray about God being their good shepherd. And how do I know that God is the good shepherd? Because from this text, he says, I'm the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. He's saying the proof that he's the good shepherd is the cross. Not how well your life's going at the moment. It's the cross. He's saying based on the fact that I've laid down my life, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am a good shepherd. So because of that, trust me. Hear my voice. Follow me, no matter what. In fact, he's going to lead you even through the valley of the shadow of death. (laughs) Even through that. He's going to lead you right into the life to come. He desires to give you life and life abundantly. You talk about abundant life. How about eternal life? That's pretty abundant, wouldn't you say? This is how good your good shepherd is to you and will be to you going forward. So trust in that. As you take this bread and take this cup and reminded of your good shepherd laying his life down for you, cause that to tr- for you to trust him. Even if right now you're like, if I was shepherd in my life, I wouldn't be letting this happen. Let him be the good shepherd. You be the sheep and follow him. And trust him. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good shepherd. And we admit circumstances oftentimes are such that we, we doubt that, we struggle with that. It makes us want to want to run away. But we, when we see how good you are at the cross, Lord, it, it draws us in to trust and to follow and to, to do whatever it is that you're calling us to because we know you're good. And every other shepherd, including when we try to shepherd ourselves, it leads to death and destruction. It's, it's not the abundant life that you offer. So, Father, help us. Help us to trust you more because of how good you are and that you've laid down your life for your, your sheep. Lord, please bless the cup and the bread and this time of just communing, communing with each other, communing with you and the flock that you've assembled here this morning and also the individuals that you've assembled, Lord, that you know by name. Lord, would you shepherd them? We all come here with different issues, Lord, and different needs. God, would you tend to them? Places where they're wounded, places where they're hurting, places where they're rebellious, places where they're blind and hard. God, each of us, would you come and would you tenderly shepherd us and lead us? And as best we know how, we're going to follow. We're going to follow with everything that we are. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.